0: No, I just I uh, wanted to model today's service after what I found in the scripture, the last few verses of Luke chapter 24. So we're going to be in Luke 24, the last four verses. So I'm going to invite you there. Also, we are concluding our picture directory pictures this week and next week. So if you have not had your picture taken, uh, we want your picture taken. Uh, you can stay, find our photographers right after service today or next week. Uh, if you're not ready or maybe you're watching online or listening on the phone uh, we would be happy to come to you if it's within reason or um, we've even had some people say we'll come meet tomorrow night or uh, Tuesday night but you need to call the church office to let us know hey uh, I'll be able to come by tomorrow night and someone will take your picture so we want to include you in our church directory uh, just because it's important in these days to connect the disconnected that's one of our goals here So uh, let's get into our scripture. I just want to read the Bible today. Is that okay? So Luke chapter 24, the last four verses. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for your help in this moment as we engage you through your scriptures. Lord, I pray you'd remove any distractions. I pray that that relationships would be restored, that that lost people would be found, that guidance would be given to those who are confused. For those who are hurting, they, they will find comfort in You. Lord, renew our passion for You. Strengthen our faith, cast out any fear, and may we trust in You more today as a result of our experience. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today concludes our series through the Gospel of Luke. I hope you've had a positive experience. I have loved studying through Luke's Gospel. I'm really sad to, to kind of turn the page, but all good things must come to an end. But I encourage you to continue to come back to Luke's Gospel because it's so, so good. have just given us a great picture of who Jesus is. Next week, we're going to start a series on a witness, which really follows up well with uh, the story of Jesus and the Gospels. And what are we supposed to do with the story of Jesus? We're supposed to tell people. We're supposed to witness. And so we're going to spend three Sundays talking about three little bitty letters at the last part of the New Testament, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And so some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Most of those are very neglected letters in the New Testament, so we're going to take a week on each of those three. I'm looking forward to that. So I just want to unpack where we're going uh, in our sermon time the next few weeks. So today, we're looking at these last four verses of Luke's gospel. Uh, these first two verses talk about what Jesus is doing. The, if you look at your, in your English Bibles, the, the subject of the sentence is, he... He led them out. He was blessing them. So I want to talk about two actions of Jesus in those first two verses. And then the, the response of his disciples are in the next two verses where it says, they, they did this, they did this. And there's actually four responses from the disciples. So two works of Jesus, four responses for the disciples. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Jesus leads his disciples with blessing. Jesus leads his disciples with blessing. Blessing. It's there in verses 50 and 51. When Jesus led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. We're going to see that word bless three times in these four verses. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So Jesus leads his disciples with blessing. Jesus appears that he's taken them from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley up over the Mount of Olives. And on the backside of the Mount of Olives is the town of Bethany. Bethany. And so they're on this little journey, and uh, it's, it's, it's neat up there on the Mount of Olives. I got to ride a camel up there on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, you can look back down into Jerusalem. You can see the city. It's very easy uh, to see that. And so we're up a little ways, and so they're on this journey, and Jesus is lifting his hands, and he's blessing the people. The word blessing means good words. That's what it means, good words. So he's saying good words over his people could be that Luke's wanting us to think through a picture of what some of the other people in the Old Testament did right before they go complete their mission to die. Moses blesses the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. And he he says some good words to the different tribes. So you may want to follow along in Deuteronomy chapter 33. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers. Deuteronomy, second giving of the law. And so Moses is about to complete his ministry. He's going to go up onto another mountain and he's going to die. And it sounds like even maybe God buries Moses. Not 100% sure, but that's one reading of the text. And so he's preparing to die and he has these final good words for his followers. In verse 11 of Deuteronomy 33, he says to Levi, Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. That might be a good blessing for a lot of those of you who are in the trades. Lord, bless our skills and be pleased with the work of our hands. It's a blessing he gives. He says to Joseph in verse 13, May the Lord bless his land. Think any farmers are praying that right now? Probably, Lord, bless this land. May it be fruitful. To Asher, verse 27, Deuteronomy 33. The eternal God is your refuge. There's some good words here. He wants to remind them of this blessing. Jesus blesses his disciples in Luke chapter 6. And he gives us these upside-down values. But he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Luke 6.20. Verse 21, same chapter. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And Luke 6, 27. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Those upside down values, but I think Jesus is saying, I'm enough. When bad things happen, I'm enough. And so he lifts his hands and he blesses his disciples. Sounds a little bit like when we had the kids up here. You remember that fun day with all the kids? And the parents were bringing their kids to Jesus so that he might touch them. Now, the word blessing I don't think is in the text, but the, the picture of the hands is. And so, this image of good words over God's people. So I want to remind you, and there's some confusing pictures about Jesus. I want you to remember that Jesus has good words for you. Jesus leads his disciples with blessing. Second action we see of Jesus in verse 51. Jesus leaves his disciples, but we are not alone. It says, while he's blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. The Christian church tradition calls this the ascension of Jesus. Jesus going up into heaven. It's a big deal. And it's an often neglected and forgotten doctrine in the Christian church that we we always talk about Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Don't forget that he ascended into heaven as king. And so Jesus leaves his disciples, but we are not alone. Jesus leaves his disciples, and Luke's gospel, if you read through the last few verses of Luke chapter 24, we have it's Easter Sunday, and Jesus, they go to the tomb, it's empty, and then he appears on this road to Emmaus with a couple guys, and they have this conversation, and they don't know who he is, and then they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, and then uh, he kind of vanishes from their side. He shows some convincing proofs to other people, And then he says "You have some fish. And so he gives them, uh, he gets something to eat. And then we have this picture as they go on up to the Bethany and he's taken up from them. It almost sounds like after Jesus had his fish sandwich on Easter evening, he goes up to heaven. I mean, if you read just Luke's gospel, that's what happens. But if you go to Luke's second volume, which is the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, in Acts chapter 1, We have this theme unpacked some more. In fact, Luke likes this theme of Jesus going to heaven, this ascension. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, dying on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. See my hands, see my feet. I am alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke of the kingdom of God. So Jesus walked on the earth with his new resurrected body for 40 days, a month and a half almost. So if we were truly going to celebrate Ascension Day on the day of the Ascension, we would still have to wait about three more weeks because Easter was just a couple weeks ago but I wanted to capture this as we are wrapping up Luke's gospel. So Jesus walked around the earth for a while before he goes up into heaven. So take, it now, take note of that. And so he leaves his disciples, but they're not alone. The theme of Jesus going up to heaven is important to Luke as well because you go back to chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, Luke 9, and verse and also verse 51. He talks twice about him going to heaven in Luke chapter 9, verses 30, 31, in that context, I still am not 100% sure what to do with this story of Jesus. This is one of the most puzzling stories. He goes up on a mountain, and Moses and Elijah show up, and his clothes start gleaming like lightning. And here's what happens. In verse 31, Moses and Elijah, they speak about Jesus' departure. The word is exodus. I think Moses knew something about that, didn't he? which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Could be what we're talking about, ascending into heaven, fulfilling his mission. You go down to verse 51. We, I'm pretty confident we can say this is what we're talking about. Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. His mission is, I've got a cross waiting for me to pick up lay down my life for the sins of the world, be buried and ascended to heaven. This might be helpful. I was reading and I was thinking about the story of Jesus is a lot like the letter U. It's like the letter U. And you can think of the the top part. Jesus' story starts in glory, heaven, right? Perfect son of God with father, son, spirit, heaven. But he leaves heaven and walks this earth, he becomes a baby. And so you see the downward progression of Christ's life, his divine humiliation. And he walks this earth. And then he goes a little bit lower and lays down his life and dies. So remember, starts in glory, birth, cross, death, and then he's buried into a tomb. So we're getting a little bit lower. Ephesians 4 says that he who ascended is also the one who descended to the lower earthly regions, buried. And so it's amazing that the the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, maybe created those rocks and those rocky tomb, is holding the Son of God. And so you see that it gets lower and lower. And you read Peter's letter, and it says that after Jesus died, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. I'm not sure what to do with that one. And so that even seems lower yet, but Sunday comes, doesn't it? That we celebrated just two weeks ago. Easter Sunday shows up and then Jesus comes out of the grave. And so the story starts to get a little bit better now. And he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And he ascends into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God as king. Do you see the picture? It's the letter U. Glory, humiliation, ascension back to glory. Glory. There are several creeds throughout history that talk about Jesus ascending into heaven. I thought about reading one of those, and then I remembered, and as I was studying, there's one in the, the scriptures, so I thought we should read a scripture verse together. So I want to put 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 on the, script, on the screen for us today. Remember, look for those chapter 3, verse 16s in your Bible, there's some good ones. And so here's one of those, and so let's read this one together. It really talks about the story of Jesus, and a little bit of that you is, is here. So let's read this out loud together. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So we have the ascension there. Jesus is the king taken up in glory glory. We don't have a lot of references, though, for king, do we? I mean, we're Americans. We took care of that king a long time ago, didn't we? And yet there's some helpful image about a king most of us have a picture of you know king or queen. You think of your, your homecoming court or maybe prom and and that king or queen. It's just kind of a little nice little honor for a night or for the yearbook photos. But there's really no authority. Uh, some of us uh, maybe follow uh, across the pond and and you know there's Queen Elizabeth. In fact, I just found out she celebrated her 96th birthday just about 10 days ago. 96. She's been queen for 70 years. Longest reigning monarch in, in England's history. That's her picture. Aren't those horses cool looking? They just look cool. I think that was her 96th birthday photo. Okay, so that's her picture. But unless Jesus comes back, which would be great, uh, she's probably going to die soon. I mean, odds are... She might have a decade left if she's lucky, okay? So her reign will come to an end and someone else will take the throne and there'll be a big pageant and a big coronation. But here's the picture here that we have in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is ascending on high as king and we are not left alone. We have someone to help us. And he's going to say, you stay there. You stay there in Jerusalem because someone's going to help you. Holy Spirit's coming. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But Joel Green highlights that you look at these two stories from Luke's gospel in the first chapter of Acts. They provide a transition in Luke's story from the story of Jesus to the story of his witnesses. And that's why we're going to spend some time in the next few weeks talking about witnessing for Jesus. So we have these pictures of Jesus, that the, Jesus leads his disciples with blessings, and he leaves his disciples, but we are not alone. Holy Spirit will come. Here's what I came today to say. When the king is on the throne, we respond with bended knees and outstretched arms. We respond with bended knees and outstretched arms. Look at these four examples, four responses from the disciples. Verse 52, 53. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. I'm going to take these a little bit out of order, but the first one is there, verse 52, the disciples worship King Jesus. So if you want to say, okay, I believe that Jesus ascended in high, which some people say they they can't believe that. I read one one place where it says, I don't think Jesus could, could do that like Superman. I just don't picture that of Jesus. I'm like, if he can walk out of the grave, don't you think he can go to heaven? I just I mean, but but it's but it's a miracle, so I mean it takes some belief in that, okay? And so so this is a picture of of a king on the throne. And so the the response is that you worship. You worship your king, King Jesus. The word for worship means to bend your knees. When's the last time you got down on your knees for Jesus? Now, some of us, it's hard, okay? So I'm giving you a pass. If it's physically, you say, I can get down, but I can't get up. That's, I get it. So there, but are there other ways that you can bend your knee, bow your head before King Jesus? Is there some physical, tangible expression to say, yes, Jesus, you are my king, and I am not? That's what we're talking about here. And so they are worshiping King Jesus, Another story, Uh, Robert Peterson, he has this, uh, I wish it was my friend Robert that lives in Missouri, but another guy, he says, he talks about the ascension. He says the ascension is the great linchpin as Christ's saving work. So some of you probably did this recently with your, maybe you had to change your your mower tractor tire or, you know, there's this little bitty pin that holds the wheel onto the axle. That's called the linchpin. And if that pin falls off or breaks, what's going to happen when you put that vehicle or machine down the road? Eventually, that wheel is going to go flying off. We have lug nuts now. So you can say that the Ascension is the linchpin. You can say it's the lug nut. But if your lug nuts aren't aren't good on your tire, what's going to happen? That tire eventually is going to come flying off. And so this writer, he says that the ascension of Jesus going up to heaven is the great linchpin, you can call it lug nut if you want, of Christ's saving work because it forms a transition from Jesus' earthly ministry to his heavenly ministry. Without this linchpin, the wheels would come off of our salvation. That means there's no king to rescue us and there's no king that's going to come back. Because in Luke's God, second volume, Acts 1, the Jesus goes into heaven, the clouds hide him from the disciples' sight, and the disciples are just looking there, which that's probably what I would do. I mean, I think they just, he's gone. And then these two men dressed in white, which sound like angels, they're like, what are you guys doing staring in the clouds? And I'd be like, well, that's where Jesus was. I just last saw him. I mean, that'd be what I'd say. They're like, hey, that same Jesus who went up to heaven that way is going to come back again someday. And so we need that Jesus in heaven so that we have someone who's going to come back and rescue us and make this world all right again. But we need to bend our knees. That's a response that disciples of Jesus have, that he's the king. And he takes care of every political authority in the world. No matter who's in the Oval Office or the State House, we have a king who reigns supreme. Here's a picture from Daniel chapter 7. My friend Tom Ewald reminded me of this verse this week. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 was one of our core 52 verses where it talks about son of man. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Does that sound a little familiar to our story today? He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is our King. So, disciples worship King Jesus. A second response in verse 53 disciples bless God. I told you that there's three times where the word bless is in these four verses. The NIV doesn't translate the last one as bless. They say praising God, which is okay, but the word means bless. It says, And they stayed continually at the temple praising God or blessing God. The Gospel of Luke ends where it begins. The Gospel of Luke ends where it begins. You go to Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one verse forty-two, and there's a couple pregnant ladies having a conversation. These new moms to be, one is named Elizabeth, the other is Mary. Luke one forty-two. We'll pick it up in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Our Catholic friends recognize that. Say it a little bit differently, but there is a blessing, and they recognize this is something special here. Jesus is a gift from God. Blessed are you. Her husband, Zechariah, a few verses later, chapter 1, 67 and 68. His father, Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father, Elizabeth's husband, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, prophesied, praise, or blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. And redeemed them. You go to chapter 228. Older man. Simeon is holding baby Jesus. And they dedicate him in the temple. Luke 228. He, G, Simeon took Jesus, baby Jesus, in his arms and blessed God. He blessed God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Disciples of Jesus, bless God. The word bless in our text here <clears throat> means you speak good words. I told you that. It's where we get our word eulogy. When you think of eulogy, what do you think? Somebody's funeral. Somebody died. You're going to, somebody's going to get up and speak some good words about that person. Eulogy. That's the word in our text three different times, speaking good words or blessing. And I was talking with Michael on the way home from his last class. He finished his last class. I said, I want to go with you. your last class, take you out for lunch. And so on our way home, uh, we are uh, talking about this moment right now, preaching. And uh, I was just trying to figure out, how do I, how do I get this across to... What does it look like to bless God? And so we just start kicking around this idea of, has anyone had to write a eulogy before? You ever had to do that for a friend, family member, loved one? Pretty powerful moment, isn't it? It can be hard, but it can also be very uh, healing. And it's an honor, especially if you're chosen to, to give it or you've given it to someone. So we're just thinking about that. When disciples bless God, this is an honor, my friend. So I want you to think about that deep friend that you love. This is someone you can speak to. And so maybe you need to write a eulogy for God. Now, he's not dead. But do you love him enough to say some things that you really admire about him? So yesterday morning, I thought, I'll try my head. It seems weird, doesn't it, to write a eulogy for God? Let's be honest. And so I put that uh, in reflecting what a eulogy for my heavenly Father would look like. As I think about the disciples' blessing or eulogizing God, here's my attempt. Generally, you write a eulogy for someone who has died. However, God, you are not dead. In fact, you are the God of the living and not the dead. You raised your Son Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of your throne. Father, you are eternal and creator of the universe. You give life to all. My Heavenly Father is a good provider. I've heard that a lot at funerals. That is a good provider. My Heavenly Father is a good provider. He took care of my family when I was a little boy. He took care of my family when I was a little boy. And my dad was out of work for over two years. He's taking care of my family that I'm raising. And as our family has grown, he provided for our needs and allowed us to be generous on all occasions. My my Heavenly Father sustained my soul through seasons of conflict. My Heavenly Father provided dear friends, mentors, and guides to lead me through the twists and turns of life and ministry. My Heavenly Father gives me reasons to smile and celebrate when people are baptized and others take their next steps closer to Jesus. My Heavenly Father is good, a goodness I often take for granted, but I hope I'll never forget. That's part of my attempt to provide a eulogy for our Heavenly Father. What would yours look like? And would you be willing to take some time out of your schedule this week to jot some things down? It may be good for your soul. And you might cry. And God sees our cry, our tears. So these disciples, that's what they're doing, it says there in verse 53. They stayed continually at the temple, blessing God. They're eulogizing God. A third action we see of the disciples is that they obey Jesus. They obey King Jesus. Verse 53, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So as you're thinking about Luke's final verse, I kind of was like, no, they go out into all the world and tell everybody about that Jesus just went to heaven. That's what I, if I was writing the Gospels, which it's a good thing I didn't, but if I was writing the Gospels, they'd go everywhere because that's what Jesus' followers do, right? Why are they staying at the temple? Don't you remember that people who were running the temple killed Jesus just like a month and a half ago? And yet it says they stayed at the temple continually praising God. Why do they stay at the temple? They're supposed to go, right? Not yet. You got to read your context. You go back a few verses, verse 45, Luke 24. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This was what is written the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, here's what he says I am going to send what my Father has promised. John's gospel says he's the helper. The comforter, it's the Holy Spirit. But you stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Stay put. That's why they stay in the temple. Because Jesus told them to stay there in Jerusalem until the gift comes from my Father. And so Jesus ascends into heaven 40 days later, 40 days after he came out of the grave. 10 days after that, Holy Spirit shows up day of Pentecost. So they're going to stay in Jerusalem for about 10 days. And then they're going to go to all the world. But right now, they just got to stay put and wait. So disciples obey King Jesus. Stay put. Again, the Gospel of Luke ends where it begins. In the temple... The first scene you see in Luke's gospel after he greets Theophilus and says, I'm setting out an orderly account. We've got Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he's ministering in the temple. It's said it's his turn for his duty at the, at the temple as priest. And later in chapter 2, we have this older lady, Anna, who stays at the temple day and night. Disciples obey King Jesus. Fourth response that I see. I want to save this one for last. Disciples trade fear for great joy. Then they worshiped Jesus and returned to to Jerusalem with great joy. So even though they just saw Jesus ascend into heaven, they don't know where he's going to be. They have joy. Their fear and amazement has changed to great joy. And again, the Gospel of Luke ends where it begins. You may want to go to this one, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause Great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This, is, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Luke's gospel ends right where it began, with the birth of Jesus bringing great joy. And I like what it says in the original language. It's mega. Mega joy. That's where we get our word mega joy. So here's the bottom line, my friends. When the king is on the throne, we respond with bended knees and outstretched arms. Jesus is on the throne. We bend our knees or bow our heads in worship. We reach out our arms, maybe to bless or to serve as priests. There's the temple imagery. And that king is able to take any fear, any confusion, and direct our steps. He wrote his story to a man named Theophilus. His name means someone who loves God. And Luke set out an account to give theophilus a beautiful clear picture of who jesus is one who came from heaven as a baby brought salvation to all the world brought amazing works gave amazing words of teaching and he gave his life on the cross he rose from the dead and he ascended on high as king that's our message for today and a proper response to that is worship And so that's why we've created the service order to be a little flip today so that we can respond to this message in worship. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to show a video of one of our mission partners that is um, serving in the Philippines in the Philippines Youth Ministry. And it talks about forgiveness of his name will be preached to all the nations. So we're going to continue to respond in worship. But I want you to think about Jesus on the throne. How are you going to respond today? Let me pray. King Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your guidance. We thank you for this time to witness to your truth. We ask for your help. Lord, may we respond with bended knees and outstretched arms for your glory. Amen.